Welcome to Carolina True Crime, a podcast presented by WMBF News in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we take a deep dive into infamous crimes from the Carolinas, some with clear endings and others where mystery remains. News Director at WNBF, and today I'm talking with our anchor, Caitlin Stansel, about a case that we have been following for years. A young girl, just 17 years old when she was last seen in Myrtle Beach in April 2009, and the mystery that has followed ever since, with suspicions involving a kidnapping, alligators, even a one-armed man who federal agents still look to for answers. Caitlin, tell me, who was Brittany Drexel? Well, when we came to know her, she was 17. She wasn't a Myrtle Beach native. She was originally from Rochester, New York, and she came down here for spring break. Now, just to give you kind of an idea of what she looked like, she had these big blue eyes, kind of short, brownish blonde hair, um, just five feet tall, 103 pounds, so she's teeny tiny, Mm -hmm. um, but had a lot of personality. Her dad described her as being independent and kind of extravagant with her looks with makeup and she loved fashion Um, she was really into cosmetology and she loved playing soccer her friend said she was one of the fastest ones on the team so what she's in high school at this point yes she's in high school and this is around the time period of spring breaks all right so she plays soccer she's kind of she sounds like an all-american kid to a certain extent what's her home life like with this time or probably 10 months before that her parents don and chad had separated they were going through a divorce Mm -hmm. and Brittany's already in kind of a a critical time period in her life when you're in high school you're already kind of critiquing yourself second guessing your own appearances your own you know way that you fit into the world yeah Yeah. and and you think that you're more grown up than you actually are that you can make these really kind of adult decisions um and the parents separation or, or impending divorce probably doesn't help that It probably just really stresses that. Mm -hmm. Um, And and she did kind of start rebelling around this time. Her dad, Chad, told me that, you know, kind of typical teenage girl fashion. She wasn't always listening. And and he ran a pretty strict household. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just talked to him recently. This is in the past few weeks. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago. Um, and, And I asked him, you know, what kind of led to this separation divorce? He said really differing parental uh strategies you know not really parenting the same kind of way and and that comes up a lot in family life right typical and that's one side i'm sure there are many things that cause a breakdown of a marriage but i can understand how for a 17 year old girl who's already sort of you know you're in an identity crisis to a certain extent where you're between a child and a adult that that's just going to add one more layer of Mm -hmm. difficulty and i think you know, a couple signs of that in this time period. He mentioned that at one point, Brittany had gotten into her mother's pills. They were oh, pain wow. reliever pills. Um, she kind of had some signs of depression. And she did have a boyfriend, but, you know, at this time period, too, that was kind of a tumultuous relationship. They were really in love at one point, and then they were fighting at another point. Um, and I asked, you know, had she ever run off or lied before? And, he, and Chad said yes, that there was an instance where she lied about she was with where she was exactly 
So, but not to the extent of crossing state lines. Exactly. Yeah, she was still near home at that point. Mm-hmm. Not that this makes her a bad kid. I think probably a lot of us might have lied to our parents. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've all been in that situation as teenagers. You know, you want a little taste of freedom. You think you're old enough to be aware of your surroundings. You know, really think about your own safety. Um, but you're not an adult yet and there are things in this world that you know can harm you Mm -hmm. so um did she have siblings she did she has a younger sister and a younger brother so she's the oldest child in this family that's sort of going through a breakup right that it's Mm -hmm. breaking apart she starts to rebel um what gets us to myrtle beach so again this was kind of this spring break time frame and she had originally asked her mom and dad, can I go to Myrtle Beach with these girls I know? Well, these are girls that both Chad and Don had both said they had never met before. And they didn't really know the extent of how much Brittany had been hanging out with them until after she had gone missing and the FBI had investigated Brittany's computer and looked at emails and messages and photos and really saw that she had been hanging out with these people for a while. It's just that her parents had never met them didn't have a relationship with them like they did with other friends of Brittany's. Right. Like, you know, normally when we were growing up, my, my parents knew my friends. Yeah. And and knew their parents and, and knew that they were raised well, but Mm -hmm. this was, Chad called these girls just acquaintances. He said he wouldn't even consider them really friends of Brittany's. Um, were they in high school with Brittany? I do know that they are older than Brittany. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that that might be why she liked hanging out with them. You know, they kind of had this, a lot more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, a party lifestyle. I think that that kind of attracted Brittany to that crowd. So these girls say, hey, we're going to Myrtle Beach for spring break. Come with us. She asks her parents and her parents say, we don't know no. who these people are. Yeah. We don't know. There's no parental supervision. You're 17. You're not out of high school yet. You're hundreds of miles away from home if anything happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, they said no. Did she seem to accept that? You know, that I'm not really sure about. But I do know that she did not listen. Okay. And what happened? She came anyway? She came anyway. What did she tell her parents? She said she was just a couple miles from home, hanging out with those friends. They thought that when she mentioned she was at a beach, that she was at a nearby beach in New York. Uh, but in reality, she was in Myrtle Beach. So she told them that she was near Rochester with the friends, but in actuality had come all the way here. And she kept up the contact with them, too. She was texting her mom. She was texting her boyfriend. She was texting her dad that whole time. It wasn't like she disappeared from their radar while mm-hmm. she was down here in Myrtle Beach. But she never said anything. She she kind of kept up the charade. Yes, the charade, yeah. Okay. So I guess they drive down? Well, the first person that kind of notices that something is awry back in New York was her boyfriend. They had been texting, and all of a sudden she had just kind of stopped messaging back or answering his calls. And one of the last text messages he had sent had said something along the lines of, you know, if you don't respond, I'm going to have to call your mom. Mm. So that's Concern, when. Yes. Probably. So, all right. So she comes down, I guess the girls drive down to Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. Where are they staying? 
They're staying at the Bar Harbor Hotel. That's in downtown Myrtle Beach? Yes, right off of Ocean Boulevard. The Strip is what they call it here, right? Yeah. It's like the area where people are walking, driving around, driving slowly, kind of the place to be. Yeah, you're you're meeting tons of people you don't know, and I think that that's kind of like the thrill of it. You're in this atmosphere where there's lots of lights, music playing, mm-hmm. people are crowded on the streets, they're driving in their cars saying, hey, waving up and down mm-hmm. the, the road. Um, you can see why a 17-year-old girl would love this, right? Yes, yes. Plus... You know, there are places here where you can probably get into clubs around alcohol and those kind of things without the proper ID. Without an ID. <laughs> Especially back in 2009, I think. You know, yes. there were some clubs within walking distance of the Strip that, you know, cater to young people. Probably not younger than 21, but probably would be possible to get in. Um, what is she hanging out with these girls the whole time? She is hanging out with them, but she also knows this other guy that's here from New York named Peter. And she had known him from back home, but then down here they kind of made a connection. And she had gone to this club called Club Kryptonite with them on Friday night. So this was April 24th of 2009. When did she arrive? A day or two before that. Yeah, just a day or two before that. Okay. So they go to the club. Is there video or pictures of that or anything that we've seen? Not that we have seen Mm -hmm. from her being at the club, but I've been to this club before, actually, just a year before Brittany visited Myrtle Beach. Wow. It is a fun atmosphere, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I was not 21 when I got into this club. Sorry, Mom and Dad. Yeah. I'm going to keep saying that. (laughs) (laughs) It was not difficult to borrow another friend's ID and use that as your own to get in here. Um, tons of alcohol there's like VIP sections where you get in and you know not all of these people in this club are your same age there's a lot of older people Mm -hmm. and I mean it's a fun atmosphere but you don't know them right right and so she goes there with Peter an acquaintance that she has from New York that she's kind of met up with in Myrtle Beach yeah Peter and, and a group of guys that he was with okay what happens after that so the next day really kind of tracking Brittany's whereabouts. Um, Police wrote in their report that Saturday morning she had met back up with Peter and these guys on the beach right near where they were staying, which was the Blue Water Resort. Um, In that same area of the ship, but not the same hotel where she was staying. Exactly. It was was probably a mile and a half from where she was staying, you know, blocks down Ocean Boulevard, but off of the same roadway. Mm -hmm. And she was there for a short time, left, Um, But here's where, you know, kind of this story really begins. Mm -hmm. Brittany ends up going back to the Blue Water Resort that evening. And these guys had told officers this was around 8 o'clock. P.M. P.M. Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Saturday night, April 25th. And she was only there for about 10 minutes. They said that Brittany had been arguing with one of her friends that she came with. Um, they believed that it was Jen Oberer. She was one of the girls. And she was apparently wearing Jen shorts. Mm-hmm. And Jen wanted them back. <laughs> Sounds like 17-year-old girl yes. to me. <laughs> but this was just after Brittany had walked, presumably, a mile and a half almost, to get to this resort. So I don't think that she was very happy to then get this call that she needs to rush back Turn to her hotel. Walk another mile and a half back. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and her dad, Chad, was... T- 
telling me, he was like, you know, I've seen this video of her walking back after the Blue Water Resort, and you can see her strides are really long, like she's upset. Uh-huh, and brushing, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and pissed is how he right. described it. You okay. can just tell, like, her movements in that video that she was not happy about this, mm-hmm. but she left the Blue Water Resort. All right, let me get this straight. She's staying with the girls at the Bar Harbor. Bar Harbor. Mm-hmm. She goes and hangs out with the guys around 8 p.m. at the Blue Water. Yes. Gets a call from the girl, Jen, that she's staying with saying, hey, I want my shorts back that you have on. Come back. So at that point, I don't know how long she's been there, but she turns around and goes back to her hotel, the Bar Harbor. The guys say she was only there about 10 minutes okay. after arriving. So a long trip to stay a short amount of time. She turns around and heads back to the Bar Harbor to return her friend's clothing. All right, let me ask you about that 10-minute visit there. Is that where some of the last pictures that we have of her are, where she's sitting out on a balcony, like drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette or something? Do you know? I don't think that is. I think that image is from her time here. But not specifically. But not specifically with these guys. Yeah. Um, But there is some question about if this story is true or not. Okay. Um, Don had actually written a long post of a few months or a couple of years after Brittany had gone missing saying that here's the thing with these friends, these acquaintances Mm -hmm. that I think Brittany's parents have a lot of issues with and, and probably a lot of people do. They believe that these people know something. Really? Something. Now, certainly they've been questioned and never yes. anything. They've never been charged. No they've charges, never been right. named suspects. Um, but, yes, they have been questioned by police. But I think that for Brittany's parents, where the questions come in, is that these kids have never once contacted Brittany's parents to say, We're sorry. We're sorry. How can we help? We were there. Wow. Brittany was in... Brittany was however... But they've never, ever contacted Chad or Don. And and they've been, you know, kind of contentious, some of them, hmm. like, after this all happened. Mm-hmm. Contentious how? As far as, like, saying something wasn't true or denying things or not being helpful? So after um, Don had got the call from Brittany's boyfriend that she wasn't responding, she had found out that... Peter was down here in Myrtle Beach and had been hanging out with Brittany. Dawn found out. Dawn found and out so that. she knew Peter, too. They... Because he was originally from the same area. Yeah, yeah. So she is calling Peter and saying, you were with Brittany. What happened? Where is she? And he ends up saying, I'm not her babysitter. Mm. I don't know where she is. I don't know what she's doing. And he actually ended up leaving early the night that she had gone missing, like around 1 a.m. in the morning left his belongings, forfeited his deposit at the hotel, and just left. Like, back to New York? Yes. And... Left his belongings. Mm-hmm. Wow. He got a lawyer when he went back to New York. And and this wasn't just Don saying how Peter was reacting. He actually went on the Dr. Phil show and said very similar statements. Really? Yes, that it was not his responsibility to babysit Brittany. Which it wasn't. But you would think if a 17-year-old's missing, you're going to do whatever you can to help. Exactly. And if these were true friends, I mean, you would... Be concerned. Yes, be concerned. Call their parents and be like, let me help however possible. You know, like, you know I'm not involved. 
Right. But here's what Brittany was doing the last time I saw her. Mm-hmm. Um, Just to be clear, we are not saying anybody's a suspect. We're not maligning anybody's character. You're simply saying this is the way he acted on Dr. Phil and this is what her parents think. Exactly. So tell me more. So we, she, she's walking back to Bar Harbor. Is that the last time she's ever seen? Yes. It's that stretch of Ocean Boulevard where something terrible, something wrong happens. Something terrible happened between the blue water. Right, there's video of her coming out of the blue water. Mm -hmm. There is surveillance video. And and you see that there are other people on Ocean Boulevard. It's not like she is alone alone. She's not the only person on the street, but she is walking by herself. And after she gets out of that frame... There is no more video, mm-hmm. and nobody that we know of has seen her since. Yep. Wow. All right. So, at what point do her friends realize that she's missing? Did they contact police at all? So, Dawn, as she's getting in the car to drive down to Myrtle Beach oh, from she, New York. She's that concerned. Yes. Her and the boyfriend jump in the car. Um, They come down to Myrtle Beach, but in that process, she calls a family friend who wasn't in Myrtle Beach, but he was at least within a closer driving distance to go ahead and come down here, get ahead of officers, go to the hotel, you know, see what's going on. Because at that point, Dawn isn't getting a lot of answers from the friends that she's calling, so Mm -hmm. she's trying to figure out, where is Brittany? Like, where is her stuff? What is happening? Okay, let's go back a little bit, because that to me seems... Now, I don't have a 17-year-old daughter, right? So, she's been texting them since she's been gone up until, at some point, Saturday evening. Um, Dawn has found out that Peter is down in Myrtle Beach. Um, she calls him. He says, I'm not a babysitter. I don't know where she is. Whatever. And at that point, Brit, they, she's calling, I'm sure, texting Brittany. She's not answering. So this is Saturday night. Is this, like, overnight? Like, do you know when Dawn kind of put all this into action? Like, I'm driving down there. I don't know the exact time. Mm -hmm. I just know that from the reports from police, the last time that she was seen by this group of guys, at least, and Peter was around 8 o'clock, and that's when she left the Blue Water. So from that time period on, everyone's starting to figure out that no one knows where she is. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So the mother, Dawn, is so worried that she can't talk to her daughter, doesn't know where she is. None of her friends seem to know where she is. She gets in the car and starts heading to New York, calls another friend who's nearby to drive here to go look for her. Exactly. And to go ahead and go to police, file a missing persons report, go to the hotel, see if Brittany's belongings are there. Really, Dawn is just trying to get someone here faster than she can get here to just see what's going Start on. Start looking for her, yeah. Exactly. At this point... And then this is probably not something you you know or could know, but I wonder what Dawn is suspecting. Does she think that she's gone off with a boy on the beach? Does she think she's drinking somewhere? Certainly her imagination could not, maybe it could, take her to what, what did happen, which is that she's absolutely never seen again. I don't know that initially her brain immediately jumped to the point of Brittany's gone right, and dead. That fear is probably there, but kind of in the back. You probably just think like, I can't believe she left and didn't tell me. I'm going to go find her right now. And But I do think that within days she, you know, had a mother's intuition that 
something terrible had happened. Mm. She she didn't just run away. She wasn't just like hanging out with someone else and not texting them back. Right. Yeah. Because it was something worse. Okay. So when the so does the friend come here? The one that Don called to yes. get started with everything. Okay. He does come here. What's that person's name? Do you know? John Hahn. Okay. Um. He had met with officers and and like I said. He, she this was someone that she trusted to just get here before she could because she's like was, a family friend yes yes just to kind of you know get the ball rolling on figuring out what's going on with Brittany mm-hmm. so he meets with police does he go to the hotel does I mean are, at this point are police looking for her yeah so they file the missing persons report they start looking for her um when is that police report filed is that on this Sunday? is from yes April 26th. Sunday. The time on this is 2042. So about 8.40 yeah. that night. So it's been about 24 hours, really, since, since she left scene. the um, the Blue Water Resort. Mm-hmm. All right. What happens next? Well, I think, you know, if you've ever watched any of those crime shows on TV, every second matters. And I think that at this point... Yeah, just the thoughts are going crazy for for the parents involved and and you know anyone really looking for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Chad had mentioned that I asked you know what was going through your head when you initially got the call that she was gone, and here's what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Well, I just the level of adrenaline that goes through your body, I guess, for me and the. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. You kind of feel like, okay, I can put it. Um, say you're reaching, you're in a zoo, and you're re- your child just fell on the other side of the fence, and it was like a huge lion's den fence, and the child is just barely hanging on, but you're literally two inches from grabbing them, and you can't get to them. So that's the feeling that I had. Wow, that is a terrifying and seemingly really apt description of how you would feel I can only imagine what Dawn must have I mean that's got to be a 12 14 hour drive or something like that that must have been a really terrible drive for her so um Brittany's boyfriend what's his name John Greco so John Greco comes down with Dawn to look for Brittany and Dawn actually ends up moving here right when they can't find her to continue the search where does the search for Brittany go next so it wasn't just isolated to Myrtle Beach. Um, they ended up, over the months and years that followed her initial disappearance, they ended up looking at her cell phone pings and realized that the last time it pinged was in this town, kind of right near the border of Charleston County and Georgetown County, um, an hour away from hour Myrtle Beach. south of Myrtle Beach yeah. or so. And, and that was... McClellanville. McClellanville. Now... If you're driving from Myrtle Beach to Charleston, it's sort of a sign and a blip on the map. If you if you take a left and go down into McClellanville, it's actually a beautiful old town. Mm-hmm. Like how like beautiful houses, kind of historic, right? And and almost like uh, there's shrimp boats. You know, there's a little waterway there. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's kind of plantation esque, quintessential South Carolina mm-hmm. sort of, right? Um, tiny town. So what in the world? Why would her cell phone have pinged there? What did what did that lead investigators to look into? So this became a very complicated case. Not only because her cell phone was 
presumably an hour away from where she initially uh, disappeared, but then it crossed all these jurisdictional lines. So it wasn't just Myrtle Beach PD now investigating. Or just Horry County. Or just Horry County. Then you involved the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office, the Charleston County Sheriff's Office, um, and then the FBI wouldn't get involved until seven years later. Really? Um, wow. Which Chad told me initially they did not get involved because she willingly crossed state lines right. to get down it wasn't here. Like she was kidnapped in New York and brought mm-hmm. here, so you can understand why they wouldn't. But I'm sure that there were state investigators involved. I mean, Sled was involved. You know, there Sled were just so South many Carolina law enforcement division. Just uh-huh. so many law enforcement agencies involved. Plus, Chad and Don had their own private investigators involved. Really, the Q Center for Missing Persons got involved and. In, leading some of these searches. So were there actual searches where people went out and, you know, did the, like, canvas area whole area? Yes. Searches with tens, sometimes hundreds of people involved in canvassing areas. And there were a few times over, you know, the past almost 10 years that there was some hope that something was found that would, you know, lead them to Brittany or Mm -hmm. who was responsible one time. There were a pair of sunglasses that looked like some that Brittany might have worn found. Um, Nothing ever came of that lead. Was that in Myrtle Beach? That was down towards the Georgetown County area. Um, There were human remains found at one point. That never came up to be anything connected to Brittany. So there's just been a lot of... Dead ends. Dead ends, yeah. Yeah. And initially they were getting a lot of leads and tips... Um, but they just ended up going nowhere. So, years, we're talking. Years. A 17-year-old girl walks down Ocean Boulevard at 8 p.m., not, not 3 in the morning, 8 p.m. on a Saturday night, and can somehow disappear. Tell me what some of the theories became, or what direction investigators have gone in. So I think one of the biggest ones was kind of the direction of human trafficking. Okay. And I don't know that authorities were the first ones to say that publicly, that they thought that that might be connected. Because human trafficking has its own kind of reputation. And and connotations, yeah. You don't want that connected to your town necessarily. Yeah. Even though we know that there have been multiple arrests here for that. Even just recently. Yeah. Exactly. So, So who did bring that up, if not investigators? Is that something her family thought could have been part of it? Yeah, Dawn actually said, you know, she thought that that might be something that happened, you know. And so that kind of made this case an even bigger issue if that is truly what happened to Brittany. You know, this doesn't just involve her. You know, it could be yeah, dozens of girls. Right, right. Um, and, and that kind of led to other cases being looked at, you know, how similar, how similar they were to Brittany's case. Um, and this is where it gets even more complicated and crazy. Okay. So let me just double check this time frame. This was about a year later. Charleston County Sheriff's Office was looking at possible connections between three cases, and one of those was Brittany Drexel's. This is 2010. 2010. What are the other two cases? The other two cases was an attempted abduction of a young woman right off of Ocean Boulevard. Oh, so here. Exactly. Uh Not in Charleston. No, she was walking alone by herself on Ocean Boulevard, just like Brittany. Mm -hmm. And a van rolls up 
two guys grab her by the waist and the arms, try to pull her into this van, and she ends up elbowing one of them and somehow, luckily, getting away. But this is just a year later. Wow. Same location, a year later, young girl by herself is grabbed by two people in a van. This isn't some wild theory. This actually happened. This is part of a yes. police report. This actually happened. Now, what happened with that? Did they did they find the people in the van? So this is this is gonna eventually in this conversation lead us to the person that they are trying to get information from. Now, exactly, and the family that mm-hmm. is connected to that the person. Whole family, okay. Mm-hmm. So this attempted abduction happened. The girl's name was Rhonda Massey, and she claims that a man named Timothy Sean Taylor. Timothy Sean Sean Taylor. Taylor. Okay. More commonly known as Sean. They call him Sean. Okay. From the McClellanville area. Uh Uh-huh. Jumped out of this van, tried to grab her. Now, certainly she wouldn't have known who it was, so she gave a description or something. Yes. And police identified. She gave a description. They came up with a sketch, Mm -hmm. and... That's what led them to Sean Taylor. Was there any video of the van that time, do you know? I'm not 100% sure about okay. that. Or like a license plate or something. Like, I, One of my questions, because I know we are going to talk a lot about the, the Taylors, um, is how tenuous or how direct is the connection to them? Like I like I want to know more, but you know about like what Rhonda said that they were like, oh, it's got to be Sean Taylor. I, w- I wonder if there was a license plate or something. That I have not found that there was that direct of a connection. Okay. And the reason I say that is because Taylor was charged for this attempted abduction. Okay. And they ended up dropping the charges. Wow. So the, whatever evidence there was was enough to charge him, but when he came to it, It couldn't be proven. The charges were eventually dropped. Actually, the evidence disproved that this was him that was there because... Because of an alibi or... They had surveillance video of him being 40 minutes, 40 miles away from where this attempted abduction happened. Huh. Okay. So... That's interesting. Yeah, but almost the coincidence and the similarity of how Rhonda Massey was almost... A potential missing person right. herself. It, it's just such a crazy connection that it's hard to ignore. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I agree that the the connection between them is hard to ignore. I just, I, I, I want to know more about the, the Sean Taylor. So you said there was a third case that they were investigating as being connected. Yes, and this brings even more of the Taylor family into this discussion. Okay. So, There was also an unsolved murder out of Charleston County, a teen named Shannon McConaughey. But this incident happened more than a decade before 2010. Okay, so in the late 90s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Randall Taylor was the man that was implicated for McConaughey's Randall Taylor. Now that's yeah. that you were saying Sean Taylor earlier. Are they So Randall Taylor is Sean Taylor's brother. Okay. Um January 29th, 1998, McConaughey, she was 19, she was last seen leaving a Cracker Barrel in North Charleston after eating with friends. 
and then a couple weeks later her car was found burned and dumped in the woods near McClellanville and then her body was found about a month after that. Again, all the charges were dropped because there wasn't enough evidence. So Randall Taylor was charged for, you know, there was some sort of evidence that police believed that it was him, but once again, they could not get enough evidence to make those charges stick. Wow, so her murder, nobody's ever been, nobody else has ever been charged for her murder. It's, it remains unsolved. Yeah, and I think really the connecting factor in all of this is the location where Brittany Drexel's cell phone last pinged near McClellanville. That's kind of what draws them all together. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, I mean, that's, the thing is, these are young, attractive girls, right? Mm-hmm. They're all crimes of opportunity. You know, it's not like these girls were, it wasn't in Club Kryptonite, right, that she got abducted. With lots of people around close to her. Right. It was walking down the main drag of Myrtle Beach in the end of April, which would have been a big spring break time. Same with same with Rhonda. Wow. Okay. So we have Randall Taylor and we have Sean Taylor. Um, what happens from there? So I do want to backtrack just for a second. Okay. Because um, when I talked to Brittany's dad, he mentioned that, you know, he thinks there is some way that Brittany knew whoever took her. Huh. Because he says no one ever reported anything from Ocean Boulevard. Of like a shouting? A shouting or a screaming or like an altercation that you would think somebody would see happen if someone's being pulled into a vehicle off the side of the sidewalk. Right. You would think a girl being kidnapped would say, ah, help me, I'm being kidnapped. Exactly. And there was none of that reported. Exactly. But then when we go back to the um, Rhonda Massey case, she was quoted as saying, it happened so fast, there wasn't any time to scream. Wow. So it easily could have been just scooped up, put them back in the van, door closed. Okay. What, so if, but if Chad's going down that road, if he thinks it was somebody, is he going back to those acquaintances? Yeah. Okay. He said that, you know, he believes in his heart that One of them they possibly something. know something. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, again, police have never gone down that road. It's, it's very far, anyway, as far as charges. So there is another Taylor, not just Randall and Sean. There's another Taylor involved. But first, let's – kind of the biggest break in the case or the most information we've gotten – in the past several years came in 2016. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this was seven years later. And this was when the FBI announced what they believe happened to Brittany. And like publicly. Publicly and released details. And they were pretty gruesome and shocking. Wow. Okay, what did they say? So an FBI agent said that Brittany Drexel was not only abducted, she was taken to McClellanville where she was gang raped, shot, and then her body was fed to alligators. My God. I mean, it's like a movie. It's the plot. most gruesome, horrible thing that you could think about happening to a young girl if being abducted. Okay, so, so basically, I mean, the FBI, that, that's the FBI, right? Like, they're the biggest law enforcement in, in the country. They come out and they say evidence leads us to believe that Brittany Drexel was abducted, gang raped. And 
did they say something about her? She like tried to run away at some point. Yeah. So first of all, they got all this information from a jailhouse informant, someone who was already in prison and said he had heard or he was there and saw this happening. So a person already in prison said, I was at this, was it a stash house? Is that what they call it? Like just kind of a a stash house or a trap trap. There's a couple different names for it, but the FBI called it a stash house in the McClellanville area where all of this kind of is culminating. And his name is Taquan Brown. So he's an inmate um, from Walterboro. What was he convicted of? Do you know? It was nothing related to Brittany Drexel in any way. It was totally an unrelated charge. So Taquan Brown Mm -hmm. says to the FBI somehow at some point, I was there. I know what happened. Yep, and this leads the FBI to, again, kind of go down that human trafficking route, believing that this is bigger than just Brittany. Mm -hmm. Um, Brown said that he saw Sean Taylor's son, so this is that other Taylor connected to this, Timothy Deshaun Taylor. Timothy Deshaun Taylor. That he saw him, who, he was 16 at the time. Brittany's 17, he's 16, and... He has a particular physical... Yeah, so something you have to know about Deshaun Taylor is that he only has one arm. And he's only had one arm since he was about four years old. There was some kind of accident. So and, he's and very... And gone. <laughs> recognizable. Yeah. I, I mean, if you saw this person, you would know who they were at this point, now that we right. have learned all of this right. about the case. So we had Randall Taylor, who was connected to this Charleston murder but the charges were dropped we had sean taylor possibly connected to this abduction of um ronda massey in myrtle beach in 2010 charges also dropped now we're talking and those were brothers randall Mm -hmm. and sean were brothers now we're talking about sean's son teenage son timothy deshaun taylor yep so brown says that he saw him yeah, he says he saw others in the room with Taylor, but they were all with Brittany Drexel. This was in that stash house. And this includes Taylor's father, Sean Taylor. Wow. So Brown says he not only saw the son, Timothy does Sean Taylor, but he also saw his father, Sean Taylor, in the room with Brittany Drexel and that there was some sexual assault happening at that time. Wow. So basically he's alleging that both the father and the son took place in a, in a gang rape. That's of, what it sounds like. Okay, what else did he say? So Brown says he was outside the house, and that's when he saw Drexel trying to get away, take off running. And remember, I told you earlier, she was a soccer player, and she was she the fastest run. on the team. Right. But unfortunately, she wasn't fast enough to get away from them. They caught her. Brown says that she was pistol-whipped, taken back inside the house. And that's when Brown said he heard two gunshots. Um, He told an FBI agent that he assumed that Sean Taylor had shot Drexel. And he then saw that her body was wrapped up and taken away. And that several witnesses actually told an FBI agent that Drexel's body was put into a gator pit so that it could be eaten. My God. And if you think about this area, I mean, it's not like there's a sign saying, here's a gator pit. I mean, this is a swampy area. You know, there's not just gators. There's snakes. There's wild hogs. This is 
a really densely forested area. So, I mean, it could be any gator pit. Right. Anywhere. I mean, in miles and miles around this area. <sighs> wow. So if It, like, we, takes the wind out of you to it, even think it, that that was what her fate was. It does. It does. Now, of course, there's still no charges, right? They don't have enough evidence to, to put the charges against somebody. But it seems like pretty compelling evidence when you put together the pings on the cell phone and this person say, like, why would, I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a little something to make up, you know, if you're a jailbird, whatever. Um, pretty specific details for you to make up. Um, but then you also have to think, you know, what is this informant possibly getting, getting out of it. coming up with this story if it, if it is false? Right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of time in jail to think up stuff like that. Exactly. But just the way you just described it, just picturing her, this soccer player, this the horrible things that she may have been through the past few hours, and that she was desperate enough to run. It's heartbreaking. Oh, okay. So the FBI comes out and says this in 2016, but they aren't saying we're charging anybody. They, they're saying this is what we think happened. I think that this was just a moment where they wanted the public to know that A, Brittany was not going to be found alive if she was found. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that there obviously has been a lot going on behind the scenes that the public does not know about over the past, um, you know, almost 10 years. But I think that this was that moment where publicly, like, they want people to know that she is not going to be found alive and that at this point it is just a search for justice for Brittany. And I do want to backtrack for just a second because when I was talking to Chad, Brittany's father, he mentioned that he, he actually, actually had a run-in with Timothy Deshaun Taylor, so the son in all of this. What, so he met Sean, Deshaun, Timothy Deshaun, the, the, the teenager. He met him in person? Yes, he didn't realize it at the time. So he had come down here to search for himself as well with some private investigators he had hired. He went to McClellanville, and he was handing out flyers. And this is how he described that exchange. I stopped a black half two-tone car. Sure enough, I didn't know at the time what the kid looked like, but it was Timothy Deshaun Taylor. I handed that fool her flyer. I handed the two fools in the back that were sitting back there giggling her flyer and then I walked away and the one kid in the back seat back at Timothy Deshaun and Timothy threw out her flyer out of his car and when I saw that I was pissed off and I said something because it was no more than a minute later I said something to um, the investigators and I said now that was messed up what they just did I just handed them the flyer and they threw him out she says Chad do you know who that was and they knew it was her and I just Wow, that's that's insane and really powerful. But you went even further with him in your conversation, right, about how it made him feel? Yeah, and, and he kind of talked about how he almost questioned his faith at this point as well. Here's what he had to say about that. I don't know why God put me in that situation. Honestly, I don't know why. Maybe he just wanted me to, I don't know, I don't know. I, I feel that. I, I do remember when I handed him the slide that I know he was a little too cocky and had a little too much of an attitude after I said, he said, what is this? And I said, you know, this is, I explained the situation and went the way he looked at me like, 
so I can give a shit about her. And I had that feeling, but I didn't read into it too much because I had just given out a ton of other flyers. So I had a sense, but that was about it. So I really, I just, you know what, karma, it comes around, goes around, I don't know. And Caitlin, when this big FBI announcement in 2016 came out, you were actually covering it then as a reporter and you reached out to Chad at that point too? Yeah, so I reached out to Chad on Facebook. We had become Facebook friends and he gave me this statement and I just want to kind of read some direct quotes from it because it's just so telling for how convinced he is as Brittany's dad that Timothy Deshaun Taylor is significantly involved in Brittany's abduction and death. And, ha- and he claims new information that we haven't heard anywhere else, right? Yeah, so he's hired private investigators. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that's where he has gotten a lot of this insider information. But also, as the parent of Brittany Drexel, law, law enforcement, enforcement they're telling tell him things that they don't release publicly. So right. he said in this statement, we know Timothy Deshaun Taylor was witnessed by others, witnesses not in jail with my daughter, We are just praying that they do the right thing and step forward with what they know. Additionally, he's been seen and followed to the exact area where my daughter's DNA was found. Deshaun Taylor is known to be involved in dogfighting, bringing drugs to parties, and raping women, mostly Caucasian young women. He either picks up unwillingly or friends of friends that end up being drugged and taken there. Without a doubt, Timothy Deshaun Taylor is a suspect in my daughter's disappearance and murder. My family and I will be following the FBI's request to keep specific details in our daughter's case under wrap until this horrible piece of trash, as he calls him, goes to prison for life. So, obviously, he is very passionate so that was in this statement. That Chad Drexel said and believes. Wow. Um, he's... he's pretty certain. And and what I think is interesting there is he says that there are other witnesses that saw Timothy Deshaun Taylor with Brittany and he hopes they will come forward. That other could, than other than this other jailhouse, than jailhouse informant right. that had talked to the FBI. So that goes back to what um, he was saying about when he was in McClellanville that he said, you know, I know these people and the secrets they keep. You've been to McClellanville, right? To cover this. Were people forthcoming? We just went to a house that we had heard was connected to the Taylor family, mm-hmm. and no one came to the door. They yelled at us through a window, and we left. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the kind of area where like you feel comfortable hanging out. It's where this kind of neighborhood is, where these houses were, wasn't right on the water in like the really pretty area. It was just kind of in like a wooded, secluded area. So we didn't stay there long, but. People were driving by, and I I talked to some of them, and people in this area know about this case. I mean, it unfortunately has marked the town of McClellanville. Absolutely. A place that used to be known for, like you said, shrimp, you know, is now known for potential heinous crimes being committed there. Um, I know that when we have, you know, you and others have covered it, that it's been difficult getting people to talk on camera because they know about it, but they don't. It didn't seem like people wanted to talk about it. And maybe it's that they don't know stuff, or maybe it's that they don't, you know, I just, I I couldn't help but feel like they didn't want to be involved because of a danger that could potentially come to them. When I think that you see this with other cases in towns that are that small, Mm -hmm. you know that everyone knows everyone there. Right. And you, 
have that feeling that they're not always being upfront about what happens in that town, but you could never prove that they're not being upfront about it. Absolutely. It's also hard to think, like, all it would take is one person that saw something to connect those dots, you know? And I think that that's why it's so important that we do continue to cover every little update Update. in this case, because one day someone will have the courage enough to bring officers the smoking gun that they're looking for to connect all of this. Do you think her body will ever be found? Have they ever done searches down there, or is it just a too big of an area? They've done a lot of searches, but again, this is a really wooded area, a swampy area. There's tons of wild animals. I mean... It's nearly 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, you really have to question what kind of evidence would even be left if there is some. So from what law enforcement has said publicly, it really doesn't seem like there is much physical evidence left. And I think that's what complicates this case, you know, more so than just what happened to Brittany and and trying to figure all that out, is that at this point, it appears that law enforcement is trying to grip at any tool possible to just get, you know, some kind of connecting piece to, Mm -hmm. to put this whole mystery together and figure it out. So what they're doing at this point, after they made the big revelation that Brittany was abducted, gang raped, shot, and then fed to alligators. That they believe that, yeah. That they, that they believe that. All of that information came out in court documents that were basically, it was basically a transcript of a detention hearing for Timothy Deshaun Taylor for a completely unrelated case. So it had nothing to do with Brittany Drexel, but you could see how they were trying to use this case to Get it some little piece of information. that What did would, the lawyer call it? A squeeze job, basically. Okay. So this unrelated case is basically he was already charged and convicted of an armed robbery of a McDonald's in Mount Pleasant. That was back in 2011. So he was like 18 at that point. Yes. Okay. Now, five years later. In 2016, when the FBI made these, made this big announcement. The federal government is trying to put their own charges on him for that armed robbery. So for an armed robbery that took place within South Carolina at a McDonald's, he wasn't even the robber, right? He was the getaway driver? He was the getaway driver and conspirator. So they, so how can the federal government charge him with federal charges if he's already been convicted and served time on state charges? So it's not unique for that to happen. Um, but I think that usually if it's a state case, a conviction happens, that's usually a pretty sufficient amount of justice for what the crime is. But the feds are basically saying they don't think that he got enough time because of the degree of the crime. So he was accused of being the getaway driver, the conspirator. All he was given, though, was a youthful offender sentence, and he served 18 months of probation for the state charges. Oh, wow. So 18 months of probation, not even 18 months in jail. Exactly. He did spend some time in jail, right, around when he was arrested, I'm guessing. But um, so because he was young, I guess he didn't have many charges or any charges at that point. They gave him this youthful offender. Okay, so I see what you're saying. You're saying the federal government says that wasn't enough for the crime. Exactly. They're saying that punishment didn't meet the level of this crime. So they wanted to bring their own charges against him. Again, though, this was five years later. So his attorneys are like, well, why didn't you do this when the state was bringing their case? 
and that's where it kind of gets a little wishy-washy mm-hmm. a bit. Um, because if this was any Joe Schmo, they wouldn't be looking at a McDonald's robbery in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Exactly. Right? But because I mean, of this informant connecting Taylor to Drexel's disappearance, you can kind of see where they're gripping at straws to get some little connection to right. all of this. Um, Squeezing, like you said, a squeeze job. Basically. Give him this federal time and maybe he'll talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so because he had already pleaded guilty to those state charges, his attorneys basically acknowledged, well, I mean, we have to plead guilty to these federal charges. He's already proclaimed oh, his guilt yeah. for doing it. So there's been some back and forth at this point. Right now he's waiting on sentencing, but he has a new attorney now. So they're kind of relooking at the case claiming that this is a double jeopardy issue mm-hmm. that, you know, he's already been convicted and for done this crime, punishment done the punishment. Yeah. He successfully completed that. You know, how are you charging him for the same thing again? Right. But and there is that loophole there where they can, the federal jurisdiction can bring their own crimes against or the, their own charges against someone. And the way they're justifying it as federal is something called the Hobbs Act. Is that right? It's just like a, so basic, basically they're saying because of his involvement in this armed robbery, being the getaway driver, that he affected interstate commerce, which is a federal with, charge. Okay, that, that's so interesting. And I think it's especially interesting that, like you said, it's not like he can go back and be on trial for it because he's already said, I did it. Exactly. So it really, I mean, you know, all the things we've just said about a gang rape and alligators and everything, it's hard to feel sympathy for a potential person involved with that but this is also an untenable situation that he's put in I mean that's I I think it shows you that you know if this can happen to him it could happen to anyone his new attorney called this strategy like fundamentally un-American you know you rely on that double jeopardy clause thinking that if you are convicted you know you have some closure at least in what time you have to serve you're not always expecting there to be more charges laid on you for the same crime that you've already yeah served your right, sentence for right it's like, it's like you've done your penance right and but they're saying no you got to do it again because that wasn't enough exactly so with all of this with that guilty plea that he put in for these federal charges there was an agreement made up and in that agreement the federal government stipulated that he could be sentenced to less time if he was truthful and cooperative in giving up information related to Brittany Drexel. So they're laying it out there. Yeah, basically. And part of that also was he had to undergo a lie detector test. Hmm. An FBI agent administered it and actually said that Taylor was being deceptive when he answered no to two questions. So the first was, did you know for sure who was involved in the disappearance of Brittany Drexel? And did you ever see Brittany Drexel in person? Again, he answered no to both of these, but the FBI agent said he detected some deception in that answer. Hmm. Now, you you have to wonder how many things did he not detect deception in? You know, did he ask 50 questions in these two? Um, You know, but, but I... You know, they're obviously still trying to move forward with this and get whatever they can. Have the Taylors ever come out and talked to anybody about all these charges against, or, you know, these rumors and supposition against them? So Timothy Deshaun Taylor has actually talked to a station in New York. 
This is the station that covers the Rochester area where Brittany's from. So they, Timothy Deshaun, the son, the yes, one-armed the man. the one okay. right now that right. is facing these federal charges, he has laid out his side of this entire story. That's really interesting. What did he say? So an investigative reporter from WHEC in New York, it's an NBC affiliate up there, came down here and they talked to Timothy Deshaun Taylor face-to-face pretty amazing good yeah. journalism right there yes <laughs> i think we're sad that we were not the ones involved in that <laughs> but luckily uh they were also nbc so we could share um but deshaun was pretty open um polite as well yes sir no sir mm-hmm. um was his lawyer present you know that the article does not say if he was or not hmm. i would think that it he would have had to have been your thing involved in some way or at least right. notified that his client was going to talk to a yeah media media okay so the very first question up front was did you kill Brittany drexel he answers no sir i did not kill Brittany drexel were you involved in the kidnapping no sir i was not were you with Brittany drexel the night she disappeared no sir i was not with her so in another part of this interview the interviewer asked him, what do you think about what this jailhouse informant has said about you? I mean, obviously, you have to have some kind of opinion on if this guy is making up false accusations. I mean, what do you think? And here's how Deshaun answers. I may as well start with the obvious question. Did you kill Brittany Drexel? No, sir. I did not kill Brittany Drexel. Were you involved in the kidnapping of Brittany Drexel? No, sir, I was not. Were you with Brittany Drexel the night she was she disappeared in April of 2009? No, sir, I was not with her. Had had you ever met her? Or what do you What did you know about her? Well, um, I never met her personally or physically. The only thing I've known is from what I've been seeing on TV and the bulletins, and what the FBI has been told, telling me so far. So that's the only thing that I personally know about her. And out of all of this interview, probably the strangest, maybe, the strangest part of it would be when Deshaun is asked if you could speak to the family of Brittany Drexel. You know, they believe that you're involved regardless of what you tell them or your attorneys tell them. They believe you're involved. What would you say to them? And listen to this. Um, I would tell them deeply I apologize for their loss, and I sincerely do apologize for their loss, and I honestly hope that they find who've done this and give them justice, but I honestly don't have anything or have any information to help them because I honestly don't know anything. I've never saw her. I've never seen her. I've never been in an enclosed space with her. I've never seen her physically as I'm sitting here looking at you now. And I truly and truly deeply apologize for their loss. And if there's any information that I could find out, and as I was being corporate with the FBI so far, I would continue to be corporate with them. People are going to hear that you said you apologize. I think they're going to misinterpret, maybe they'll misinterpret the, the word apologize. Yes, what I mean by that is I'm being sincere for their loss. I apologize for them losing, you know. It's not my fault, it's not anyone's fault that they have a loss. The only thing I can say is, you know, I send my condolence to them, to the family, for their losses. 
that's that's definitely an interesting answer that he gives. So, is Timothy Deshaun Taylor in jail right now? Not right now. He just got released on bond, actually. Bond um, from the federal charge? Yes. So, that also gets a little complicated. He pleaded guilty, was given bond, he was out, but then he got in trouble because he had traveled somewhere he wasn't supposed to okay. while out on bond. Mm-hmm. They put him back in jail, and he's been in jail for a couple months, maybe a year or so now. And this new attorney has asked that he be released on bond again as, you know, he reviews his case and awaits sentencing right now for that guilty plea that he oh, has yeah. put in. So is he out on bond? He is out on bond He right is now. out right now. Oh, yeah. Um, what's happened since, so that was, you know, we've kind of taken you through everything. That interview with the Rochester station was in October 2016. That's nearly two years ago. Anything developed in the past two years? So March of 2017 is when we heard that there was a search happening in Georgetown County related to Brittany Drexel. Originally, Don Drexel's attorney had said this was a search that was taking place for the remains of Brittany Drexel. Hmm. But the FBI, law enforcement, no one has ever confirmed that. No one has ever said that anything was found there. No one has said exactly what they were looking for. And this was not in McClellanville. No, this was was just in Georgetown County. It was investigative activity, as they called it, off of Fox Fire Court. So that's just off of Highway 521 outside Georgetown city limits. Kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. what I remember. I remember that it was off a dirt road. We had trouble finding it. Mm -hmm. And they were digging for something because there was some equipment out there. equipment. I remember that. So we've never gotten any answers if they found anything, what if they, you know what they found? If they found anything, we're coming up on ten years. It's a long time for a seventeen-year-old girl to not one single person, you know, say that they've seen her or ad- admit to anything. I know it must be tough for the family. It's. Do you think it's tough for journalists too? I mean, we get close to these cases, especially after researching it so much for this podcast covering some of the biggest developments in this case in the 10 years that it's been going on I feel like I know Brittany that I can relate so much to her because I was a teenager just like her you know I came to Myrtle Beach on trips with my friends I went to Club Kryptonite and you're probably about her age aren't you I was here just a year before she went missing and I was 16, 17 at the time. So, so yeah, very think close about in age. How much you've done since you were 17 the past 10 years? That she will never get to do. That she'll never get to do. That her parents will never get to see her go to college, have a career, fall in love. It's really, really tragic. Um, do you want to wrap up with um, some of her dad's words about how he feels now? Yes, and I do just want to point out before we wrap up that no one has ever been officially charged in connection to Brittany Drexel's disappearance or death. People have been named persons of interest. Mm -hmm. They've been looked at, but no charges have ever been given to anyone. And I think that that is a lot of what her family has struggled with. A lack of closure. Mm -hmm. Not only do you not know where the body is, you don't have any idea, or, you know, nobody's been held responsible. And if they even think that justice is in the near future, only time will tell.
are listening to Carolina True Crime, a podcast presented by WMBF News. To learn more about the story you heard here and other mysteries and crimes from across the Carolinas, go to our website, wmbfnews.com.